Did you know that over 60,000 new tracks are uploaded to Spotify every single day? That's a new track every 1.4 seconds, and that's just on one platform. With so much music now available, it's more important than ever to stand out from the crowd. So it's not surprising that more artists are starting to use less conventional sonic textures in their music, like field recordings. Perhaps you've always wanted to infuse the sounds of nature or your favourite city into your own tracks, but not having the right gear or knowledge might have held you back. Well, if that's the case, you're going to love the brand new guide I just created, teaching you how to start field recording with just a smartphone. And it's all yours for free at femalediymusician.com forward slash learn with Isabel. Yep, you really do just need a humble smartphone and some minimal extra gear that doesn't have to break the bank to get started with field recording. And I've laid it all out in this handy five-point checklist. So download it for free at femalediymusician.com forward slash learn with Isabel and elevate your music to the next level. What I started realising was this this idea about what the music industry was, what I'd kind of soaked up in my teenagehood and then even through my degree of you gig and you gig and you gig and then you get spotted and then you get signed and then you live happily ever after. I started to realise it actually wasn't happening. <laughs> that it wasn't just happening to me, that it was just not happening as much anymore to anyone. Um, don't get me wrong, it does still happen to some people, but... I started to see that it was happening in such different ways that I had no idea how it worked anymore and actually that nobody knew how the industry worked anymore because the internet had changed everything. And the thing that really started to ring true for me was the sense that no one was coming. Hello and welcome to Girls Twiddling Knobs. My name's Isabel, and over the last decade, my self-produced and self-released music has amassed over 25 million Spotify streams. I also have a PhD in sonic arts, but I wasn't always this confident with music tech. In fact, I still hear those self-doubt gremlins in my head from time to time. I started this podcast to help more female-identifying musicians start recording and producing their music and learn from other women making music with technology. If that's your cup of tea, then you're in the right place, my friend. Let's dive in. OMG, it is episode one of Girls Twiddling Knobs. I am very excited to be kicking things off today. And where else to start than with my own journey and, um, yeah, how I got into this, why I am so passionate about women learning recording. We're going to get into all of that. But before we start, I just want to make you aware that we have a very, very cool competition, which is to mark the launch of the podcast. All you have to do is rate and review the podcast and then take a screenshot and share that on social media and just tag the female DIY musician. So if you're on Instagram, that's at femdiymusician. If you're on Facebook, just do the at and then female DIY musician should pop up. And you could win a £50 gift voucher. 
that's it. You just have to rate and review, take a snapshot and then share it and tag me. And then I know that you've done it and I'll enter you. And um, it will just really help to get the podcast in front of lots and lots of people's faces, especially women who need to learn more about these skills. Um, but also if you win, then you that's a good chunk of money to go towards your own home recording setup. And um, the, so what I'm going to be talking about today is my story. But if you're a female identifying musician too, this could be your story as well. It could have, some of this stuff could have already happened. Some of the things I experienced or felt along the way could have already happened to you. But also if you've been holding yourself back from taking some of the risks and jumping in in the way that I'm going to share with you that I did, this could be your story in the future. And the title is actually about how learning to self-record my music launched a DIY music career I could never have predicted, which is totally true. I could never have predicted what happened. Um, so we're going to get into all of that. So I'll just start by, you know, where I, how I was feeling, I guess, when I was in my early 20s, which is when I was um, leaving university. I'd done my undergrad in music and I was coming out into the the big bad world I guess but even before that I just never felt comfortable being a cog in a machine. I always felt like I didn't really warm to a lot of the people that I'd met in the music industry not that I'd met loads but whoever I had met it always kind of felt a bit um, counterintuitive to why I was doing this in the first place why I was making music it was always talking about image and branding and money and um, especially as naive little young Isabel, <laughs> that didn't really rub me up the right way. Um, and I'd also heard lots and lots of bad things about the music industry. That, In fact, that's all I'd ever heard. And I think that probably wasn't very healthy, but that was the view I had in my head about the industry. So I never really liked the idea of being put in a box. I never really liked being a cog in this big music industry machine. I even spent one week at the Brit School um, to start my A-levels and I couldn't stand the Brit school. Um, not Nothing to do with the teaching or the lessons, it was actually the other students. Um, if you went to the Brit school, I'm sorry if I'm offending you, but um, within a week I was in a girl band that I didn't have the guts to, to, to get out of and everyone was just obsessed with being famous and not to take away from their musicianship or anything like that. It just was not the environment that I felt I wanted to be in, which was really more about being creative, like truly creative, like exploring your creativity, not just using it as a means to an end to get famous. So I dropped out of the Brit School and I went to Van Dean in Brighton to do my A-levels. I, I did abysmally badly and then moved to Baswick to finish my A-levels and did marginally better. And then I ended up going to Dartington College of Arts in Devon to do my undergrad, to do my music degree. And I loved it. It was the first time in my whole life I'd ever been somewhere where people genuinely just wanted to explore what music was. Genuinely wanted to explore what music was as an art form and where that was open and rigorous and explorative and creative and personal and holistic and all of those things. And I, I just felt so excited and I felt like I'd really come home. And I spent three years there and I loved it so much. And I left and then I entered real life. And even if you haven't gone to some crazy 
tiny performing arts school in the middle of the Devonshire countryside where they teach you about John Cage and, uh, you know, you have visual performance students doing performances about their period blood. Even if you don't go somewhere like that, you still leave your degree and you do have a sense of, oh, right, this is real life. So what, what ended up happening was I moved to London and this was not at all about me wanting to be um, a famous musician and therefore I thought I'd go to London. It was just because my boyfriend at the time got a job there and I happened to get a part-time job and we moved. And um, and I felt very, very frustrated there and quite quickly because what I started realising was this this idea about what the music industry was, what I'd kind of soaked up in my teenagehood and then even through my degree of you gig and you gig and you gig and then you get spotted and then you get signed and then you live happily ever after, I started to realise it actually wasn't happening. <laughs> that it wasn't just happening to me, that it was just not happening as much anymore to anyone. Um, don't get me wrong, it does still happen to some people, but... I started to see that it was happening in such different ways that I had no idea how it worked anymore and actually that nobody knew how the industry worked anymore because the internet had changed everything. And the thing that really started to ring true for me was the sense that no one was coming. No one was coming to my gigs to spot me. No one was coming to send me an email to tell me they wanted to sign me. None of that was happening. And what I started to feel was just total exhaustion. And that was partly because I was doing at least one gig every week, as well as working full time in arts admin, getting paid a pittance, commuting two hours a day and just feeling like I was in a total hamster wheel. And what ended up happening was I had no room to actually see the wood for the trees. I couldn't actually make any plans with my music. Now, I know there may be people listening to this saying, oh, my God, Isabel, you are telling my story. I totally understand how you feel. I am there right now. You may be saying to the to the podcast, I, I know what I know exactly what you're going through as well, because I'm going through it now. Um, so I, I totally know that this is not just an experience that I've had. I know that lots of, especially women, find themselves in these kind of admin roles uh, where they feel like they're on this hamster wheel and where they're so exhausted and gigging and gigging and, you know, scram scrabbling around that you don't have that objectivity and that space to actually strategize and actually think what is not working and what should I do next instead? But what I did was actually I went for a four day a week job, which was the same money as my five day a week job. And while that may seem like a tiny thing, what it gave me was one day a week to not be working, to be at home and to be writing songs and recording. But also, crucially, just having the space to self-reflect and say, am I happy? Can I do this anymore? What the hell am I doing with my life? And so just that one day a week gave me the space and the courage and the time to start looking to the future. And what that meant was I eventually ended up applying for a Sonic Arts MA, a scholarship in Belfast at the Sonic Arts Research Centre. And to cut a long story short, after originally not getting the scholarship and therefore not being able to do it because there's just no way I would have been able to afford it, I ended up getting the scholarship last minute and I dropped everything and I moved to Belfast. 
And so that enters my kind of next phase of my life, really. And I think by this point, I decided, right, well, I'm just going to give up on music. I've had it. I'm exhausted. Um, It's not happened. I must be a failure. I'm 25. I'm a woman. I think that that's my time up, you know, and, and I need to do something else. And when was I happiest? It was when I was doing my music undergrad. And what did I like? It was because it was so experimental. It was because it was about textures and sound and um, sociology and ethnomusicology and psychology and all that stuff that goes into music as well. And that's why going and doing the semi in Sonic Arts just felt like it wasn't a solution long term, but it was something that would break up the hamster wheel. And... But I got to Belfast and I got to the MA two weeks late because I had to fulfil my contract at my job. And when I went into the room on my first day of my MA, I sat down at a computer. There was a bunch of other students on the MA with me who there were about 17 people in the group. Only one other student was a woman. So we were two women out of 17. And when I went in, everyone was kind of working away diligently at their computer. And I sat down and I got given a piece of paper which had a long algebra formula on it and a paragraph saying something to the effect of um, use this algebra formula to make a reverb algorithm. And that was pretty much it. And I looked at the computer screen and it was totally blank. And I thought, what the actual fuck? What am I doing? What is this? This is crazy. So I went to the tutor and I very quietly said, um, excuse me, I, I'm new here and I've just, just arrived at the MA. Um, can you just explain this um, this handout a bit? And also, um, I can't see anything on my computer. And in fact, my computer was not just a blank screen. It had loaded up Max MSP and was ready to go. And I had no idea what Max MSP it was. And if you don't either, don't worry. Um, all you need to know is that it's a very amazing but quite um, complex piece of um, computer software where you can build algorithms, which will then enable you to do things, which is, you know, I don't want to go too more specific than that. But um, they, they showed me this and... And that was it, really. I kind of kept staring at this algebra formula thinking, number one, I don't know algebra. Number two, I have no idea how it translates into building a reverb algorithm. And number three, I have absolutely no idea how you use Maximus P to build the fucking reverb algorithm. So this went on like this. And by week two, I was in floods of tears in the MA course convener's office. And he was a very, very clever, distinguished, kind man who looked relatively awkward with this young 25-year-old woman in floods of tears in his office. And I said, I have no idea why you have given me this scholarship. Why am I the only person in this group who has a scholarship? And I feel like I'm the only person who has no idea what she's doing. And he said, well, look, just hang on in there. I know it's not perfect. I know it's quite mathematical. I know it's quite physics heavy, but please believe me, it will get more creative in semester two. So I hung in there. I got some really great help from some very, very generous, kind colleagues. And I actually scraped through. Um, But, you know, there were tears and (laughs) a sweated brow and it was not a pretty process. Um, But it was an important process because what it showed me was that I had to just keep moving forward. That even though I was really, really um, doubtful of my ability to ever get my head around some of these things that by really persevering and getting my head actually getting my head down I did 
I did enough to get through. So it's not that I ever kind of felt like I had this massive 360 transition where I certainly suddenly became this algebra whiz kid far from it but what I did do was learn enough for me to do what I needed to do and what I did realize was that probably the biggest obstacle to me was not my lack of knowledge and it wasn't my the way that my brain worked it was my self-doubt and this became a real bedrock for me understanding how and why I might have not been so confident with music technology or so proactive with music technology in the past. So by the end of my MA, I really enjoyed it. I did get to do lots more creative stuff. And I also used some of the more kind of um, scientific, logical techniques and tools that I'd been taught in the first semester as well. And I finished with an MA. Um, I had I finished with the distinction as well, the highest award you can get in your MA. And not only did I finish with the distinction, but I also was awarded a fully funded AHRC scholarship to study for a PhD. So this was massively surprising to me. And when you think about that girl that first entered and was in floods of tears saying, I can't do this, why have you given me the scholarship? It was such a turnaround to finish my MA in that way and to also have that scholarship to do a PhD. So I continued working at Sark on my PhD and I continued living in Belfast. But what had also happened by the end of my MA was that I had an album's worth of songs. And the way that this happened was because I'd totally given up on having a music career, which kind of opened up a much less pressured space to just document the songs that I'd written to date. And so every time I was in the studio doing work for my MA, I'd give myself another hour to work on my own music, just documenting the songs, just recording them with no agenda, no pressure, no expectation. And then what it meant was that by the end of the year, I actually had an album's worth of songs. And of course, I got a little itch that I had to scratch and I decided... I'll just release these. You know, I've got the out, I've got them recorded. They're not perfect, but they're pretty cool. They're quite different. I've used some of the techniques from my MA and spatial audio and all those kinds of things. And why don't I just release it? So I released my first album imperfectly, so imperfectly. So if anyone is listening to this and thinking, oh, I'd love to release an album, but I don't have this or I haven't got enough of this or it's not good enough in this way. Please, please listen to me. When my first album was so imperfect, I handmade a hundred copies all by myself um, with some advice from somebody who I really trust who had also made some uh, handmade albums before. Um, But I hand printed them a hundred copies. I made it really, really personalised. I really enjoyed the process. I sent the albums off to some local radio, some local press. And I also did a little album launch at Belfast's Black Box in the green room. And suddenly, boom, things started to make sense. And, you know, in a small, gentle way, things started to make sense. What I saw was just small and imperfect moments of traction were emerging because I had a release, because I had something people could get behind. It was like a story and it meant that people had something to talk to me about. It wasn't just that I was this musician randomly playing gigs. I was a musician who was releasing an album. I was a musician who had recordings that they could go and check out and it was new and it was all put together in a little package and people could even hold it, but even just people could talk to me about it. And suddenly things started to ever so slightly move and change gear and 
this meant that I was able to apply for funding um, to do a second album because I had some, you know, good um, praise from local radio. I had some blog posts that had reviewed my first album, just little things like that. And I also had some recordings and I was able to use that to apply for funding. And then that funding enabled me to make a second album. And that second album got picked up by Jamie Cullum on Radio 2. And it also got some local press again and local radio and all that kind of thing. And then that meant that I could apply for more funding. And I made a third album. You can see that I got the album bug here. But I just loved that this process. It was like, finally, I've, I can see how this makes sense. I can see how this fits together. And I'm doing all of this. I am not a cog in a machine. I am calling the shots. I'm making decisions. And I'm using this to really express my creativity. And I found sharing my work in album form really creative. So I made album number three. And just after I'd made album number three and released album number three, um, I was coming into the last part of my PhD. And my PhD, um, a year or two after that, I was running out of funding. And nothing had really, nothing major had happened with my my music. I was really proud that I'd got it out there. I was really proud of how the songs had developed and my, my producing had developed and all those things. And so I kept recording things myself. I'd kept producing things myself, but I started to work with more and more people and expand the process. Um, and when my funding was running out right at the end of my PhD, something pretty cool started happening. I started to get royalty payments. My Spotify was exploding and it was going mad. And by album number three, I should say I'd had some really good radio play from BBC Radio 6, BBC Radio 3, again from Radio 2 as well, Jamie Cullum, um, Lauren Laverne on Six Music. Um, but this was the first time that I'd actually seen proper royalties coming in regularly. And it started off as 100 quid every month and then it raised to 400 quid every month and then it kept raising. And um, and I couldn't believe it. And it, it, became, it started to just snowball so that within that year I'd hit over a million streams and that kept growing and growing and growing. And um, and that meant that then I was able to apply for even more funding. And with my fourth album, I was awarded the PRSF Women Make Music Award um, and was also, again, featured on Lauren Laverne's BBC6 BBC Six Music show too. So this is where, you know, my music was had really become a career. It had really become something that was not not just in monetary terms, but in critical acclaim, in what was possible for me to do. The fact that I had released these albums, had they'd all grown and gained traction each time. And each time, all I'd expected from myself that I would do it bigger and better the next time. And that just meant improving, always moving forward. And it was through recording, it was through learning to record myself that I was able to do that. If I'd kept waiting for that record label to knock at my door, it never would have happened. So this even has led to my music being archived in the British Library and the British Music Collection. And I finished my PhD. And so that means that my name is now Dr. Isabel Anderson. And I've been published in academic journals like Organised Sound, the Journal of Sonic Studies and more. And now I lecture at ICMP and I've been lecturing at BIM as well. Um, I'm actually module leader on ICMP's MA in Creative Music Production in London. Um, and I also teach women all over the world to gain more independence and autonomy through recording and production skills, 
through my online program, Home Recording Academy. And I do this because without these skills, none of what I've just shared would have ever happened. It really, really, really is as simple as that. And the the story I've just shared with you spans over a decade. So it's not like it's a kind of, you learn to record your music and then bam, everything you want falls into your lap. Far from it. And in fact, when I, when I talk about everything that happened to me, it was the opposite of what I hoped would happen when I was 16. It was totally the opposite, but it's actually so much more right for me because I think I would always have found it so hard to just be, like I say at the beginning, a cog in the machine um, for someone to just be writing songs and then other people take over the process of everything else. I love making stuff, whether that be actually getting the album made, printed up or distributed digitally, or whether that be making the album in the studio. I just love every part of the making process. So in fact, learning to record my music launched a DIY career that I could never have predicted, but has definitely been a hundred times more satisfying to me and also allowed me the space to get a PhD and an MA in in a subject that I'm so, so passionate about, sound and sonic arts and making incredible things with sound. So in summary, is it possible to release your music with authenticity and integrity as a woman in music? Well, yes, absolutely. And it's something that I struggled with. But I think that my story shows that really learning to self-record your your own music is such a game changer and it will give you so much more independence moving forward as a woman in the industry. And I hope that this has been inspiring for you and has given you that little kind of kick to just believe in yourself more and persevere and think about whether your own self-doubt is actually much more paralyzing than any lack of experience or the way that your brain works or anything like that. If you're anything like me, it's actually the self-doubt and what I call music tech gremlins that are the, the biggest culprits in getting in the way of you moving forward and actually sharing your music. Now, if you've enjoyed this podcast so far, please rate and review because you could win a £50 voucher to buy recording equipment for your own home setup um, totally on the Girls Twiddling Knobs podcast. All you have to do is rate and review the podcast, take a screenshot and tag us in your in a post on Facebook or Instagram. If it's Instagram, just tag Femme DIY Musician. If it's Facebook, just do the at and you'll find us when you type in the female DIY musician. So you could win a £50 gift voucher. It's really easy. And uh, also when you rate and review the podcast, it really helps us get in front of even more women in music. Now, in, in the next episode, I'm going to be talking to self-taught film and TV composer Victoria Widgeratne about her career to date. We also hear her top three tips for writing to picture. So this is a must listen for any budding film composers. So how do you like that episode, dear listener? If you loved it and you know someone else who would love it too, be a good friend and share it with them. Go on, spread the girls twiddling knobs love.